to another edition of Chiropractic United Podcast for July 5th, 2011. This podcast is brought to you by Chiropractic Biophysics. Visit us at idealspine.com. Also brought to you by Elite Coaching. For more on how Dr. Fred can help build your practice, visit elitecoachingllc.com. And finally, by PostureCo, makers of the developers of the Posture Screen screening app known as Posture Screen Mobile, as well as the X-ray digitizing application known as PostureA. For more information on how PostureA or Posture Screen can help build your practice as well, visit PostureCo.com. Now, let's get started. Okay, hello out there to the podcast listeners. This is the Chiropractic United podcast. For the first week of July, we just got done with the 4th of July. Happy 4th, everybody. It is now Tuesday night, July 5th, and we are going to bring you a, a great podcast tonight. We have a special guest uh, speaker and uh, actual uh, participant. It's Mr. Ted Burgess. He has a master's degree in clinical, clinical social work, and he currently works as a psychoanalyst, psychotherapist at St. Alphonsus Hospital or Medical Center. Uh, he has some great things, great concepts that he's here to share with us on this podcast. And I really think the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. In addition to uh, Mr. Ted Burgess, we have Dr. Fred DiDomenico from Elite Coaching. We have Dr. Joe Ferrantelli from CBP and from Posture Co. We have myself, Dr. Deed Harrison from CBP. And we also have Mr. Vince Cavino from Legacy that we've heard uh, a couple times on the uh, show. So welcome, Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, Vince, and uh, Mr. Burgess. Welcome all. So first, so the audience uh, and listeners know exactly what you do, Ted. Can you just briefly give us your background and your training? Sure. Well, I graduated from the University of Utah with a clinical social work degree uh, with an emphasis in counseling which means I'm basically a, a psychologist without an ability to do complex psych testing like the MMPI. Uh, but in the last 16 years, I've had a variety of positions. I've worked in addictions uh, predominantly, but I've also currently I work in an emergency room setting. So I triage and disposition people who come in in an acute psychiatric crisis or who have experienced a significant trauma, like a family member of a, of a car crash victim, you know, who is deceased or, or who potentially might be dying. And uh, I've also worked in managed care and hospital administration, and then I had a private practice doing individual couples and marriage counseling. Kind of eclectic. Fantastic. Uh, did Vince tell you tonight the theme of uh, this particular podcast? Uh, Give me a little credit here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it uh, all about change. Does that sum it up? Sure, uh, sure. Do you have a, a particular title in mind for, for tonight for the listeners, or is uh, All About Change pretty good? I like that. Okay. Uh, let's stick with All About Change. Okay, All About Change. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead off with just a couple pointed questions uh, for Mr. Ted Burgess here, and then the, the listeners out there will get a, a really good feel for what the remainder of the podcast is going to be. Of course, they, they know we always kind of shift gears and go back and forth, but I think they'll get the, the gist of this when I, uh, I ask the first question. So, Dr. Fred, Dr. Joe, are you ready for my first question for uh, Mr. Ted Burgess? As always. Okay, so he, here's the question, uh, 
Ted, and uh, we're relatively informal now that I've introduced you. I can use the first name, yes? Yeah, please do. Okay. So for Ted, what we'd like to know is our, our listeners out there, predominantly chiropractors, doctors of chiropractic, uh, how do these doctors who have forged a decade of bad habits with their staff and with their patients and who many times lack balance in their life, as well as habits of all the limiting principles, how do these doctors break out of their bad habits and transform the limiting to liberating principles? In other words, how do they really go about to stimulate and act on change? Okay. So, so first off, you know, the traditional adage, practice makes perfect, I think is a little bit of a fallacy. If we were to set the record straight, we'd have to say practice makes habitual. And habits are forged through day in and day out, ordinary, everyday behavior. Uh, Blaise Pascal is famous for saying, greatness is not defined by a person's great moments, but by their consistency or fidelity to ordinary tasks. And so when we talk about any change process, essentially we're, we're always changing. It's, it's the body's kind of natural rhythm. We, we call it homeostasis uh, in, in the medical chiropractic community. Yep. Everything has a balance. And because we go through life not uh, immune to external forces, we're always having to make fine-tuned adjustments in order to keep or maintain that stasis or, or that balance. Anytime that we lose our ability to be flexible or to adapt or to change, what happens? We, we get rigid. Uh, we, we essentially start dying, uh, for lack of a better word. And I think it's important to realize that, one, change isn't something to be avoided or afraid of because it's always going on. It's part of life. The only thing that doesn't change is, is essentially dead. Uh, and we call that, you know, rigor mortis, for example. No change or no flexibility. Yeah. So anytime that you have, you know, a preponderance of, of bad habits, it's like, say, sediment drifting on, onto an ocean floor. You know, if you've ever remember from fifth grade geology class is looking at uh, a split snapshot of, of ocean bedrock, you see different layers of sediment, right? Yep. And that's the way that geologists and paleontologists can track different changes. Well, changes in, in the present moment is kind of like the current floor of, of the ocean, but it's always accumulating new debris and new sediment. And that debris, that sediment metaphorically is is what we do with this moment. So from that perspective, it's it's almost possible to change our past because we can change our present, and then this moment becomes a recent past and is covered over by layers of even more recent events until the old floor of our past is completely covered over by a new pattern or a new behavior set. And that's really all that there is to it. It's fidelity to little, tiny things, but that are done religiously, consistently, day in, and day out until the new practice becomes the new habit and, and is perfected, essentially. Okay, so really it's, it's about setting small attainable goals, reminding yourself about those goals, and then initiating action steps to follow through with those goals on a daily basis. Absolutely, and I think that's a, a beautiful place to start. But I think it's also important to emphasize that after a while, the goals have to become intrinsic. Uh, because until they become intrinsic and innate, you know, we're always relying on secondary or external motivators to get things done. And I think that's where people 
get frustrated with the change process, that they'll start a whole bunch of good things, but they very rarely follow through. Because the change that's really meaningful and sustainable is change that's internalized. One, because then it becomes self-perpetuating. But two, because change that's internalized then, um, it aggregates in a way that, that yields enduring meaningful benefit. So it, the real fast-acting stuff, like, like medical doctors, for instance, are great at quick fixes, right? And so maybe I work in a busy emergency room, and, and I think there's a place for emergency medicine. What I love about chiropractic care is that chiropractors seem to have more of a long-range vision in mind. There's not an adjustment that can necessarily activate a bunch of GABA receptors like a Xanax can in terms of calming somebody down. But the, the downside of the Xanax is that the half-life is, what, two to four hours. And then you're worse off than you were before. So the change that chiropractors implement and that they preach is stuff that sticks. It's stuff that endures. It might not be as quick in coming, but it doesn't fade as well. And so there's always an inverse relationship between the, the length of efficacy and the speed of action. The faster we feel it, the shorter it lasts. And the, the slower it is in coming, the longer it sticks. Yeah, that's a, that's a great last statement with that, too. That's something we always communicate to patients about uh, change and, and spinal correction. Uh, but to include Dr. Fred here uh, real quick, Dr. Fred, I, I know that this is an area of interest, interest for you when we talk about spine corrective care practitioners, number one, that are new to corrective care, and then number two, even ones that have been under corrective care type of management or, or running corrective care practices, they get stuck in bad habits, old ways, and they don't know how to break the ice and get going on change towards their ultimate goal, which is running a principled, service-based corrective care chiropractic practice. And so that's just to tie it back in, into the, the chiropractic practice with what we're talking about. Uh, here with uh, Ted and uh, uh, Dr. Fred, your your thoughts on this? Well, I think what you used one word, Ted, that kind of stuck with me, and that was fidelity, meaning your commitment and truth to attaining those and perpetuating new habits. You know, and and uh, working with doctors on true corrective care systems like CBP, you know, it, it takes time, and like you said, uh, effects that come on slow last longer, and that's what spinal correction is. And, you know, people come in and they think chiropractic is a pit stop for back pain. And I always say, if you want to change the way people act, you have to change the way they think. And I think that's what you're really talking about. Another, another little one-liner we have is knowledge becomes wisdom through experience. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to know something in your mind. It's another thing to change someone's being. And it's, like you said, it's through fidelity to different habits that eventually take a goal that's in your head and turn that into beingness in your world and what you create. And, uh, you know, you become, I forget what that, what that uh, one adage is, you know, uh, where it says your, your thoughts determine your words, your words determine your actions, your actions determine your character. And your character determines your beingness, or something like that. Paraphrasing, but uh, you know, it's, I think that's kind of along the same lines of what you're thinking. So, you know, when we, what we really stress and and teach people in our coaching system, 
is if you have to change people really fast and change their habits, they have to have a strong emotional tie. And everybody has one. So when you can speak to their emotions, then you can help inspire people. And and in a sense, their emotions are a catalyst to change their behavior. Once you find that emotional hook, then you find a reason why they're going to create the habits and change their habits and then stick to them. And then I think that ties into the fidelity and the uh, maintaining the uh, repetition and pers- with persistence. I don't know. Did I talk in circles there? No, I think you <laughs> nailed it on the head, Fred. So, so Joe, you know, I know you have a bad habit, and it's not getting me my stuff on time. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'd have to say, you know, it's I try, I try to just keep doing it, and, you know, it's just not getting any better, especially when, uh, you know, my boss doesn't tell me until the last minute he needs things. <laughs> right. So, and I bring that up just for fun to get Joe to chime in here, Ted. But, you know, you know, with this being said, with what Dr. Fred has just elaborated on from the chiropractic coaching perspective, and and if it, it change is really, it doesn't really matter what the person's doing. It's let's start the process of getting to where you want to go. So what, what would be one of the first steps that you would recommend somebody do if they want to change towards a certain goal. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I just have to, uh, to reiterate what you said, though. I, that's absolutely correct. Um, it reminds me of the old uh, anecdote of the West Virginian mountaineer on experience of wisdom, um, where a young nephew comes up to his, his aged wise uncle, and he says, Uncle Jed, how'd you get to be so, uh, so wise? And he says, oh, torn hard. Wisdom comes from from experience, and experience comes from from not being wise, basically. So, uh, learning from your mistakes too. I, I think as long as we're open. So, it, I, I think the metaphor for you know easy kind of regimented change is probably uh, something that can be mirrored right in your from your own practice style. What do you do when somebody comes in for you know a first patient visit? You probably uh, give them an X-ray and a diagnostic evaluation. So, so you evaluate and you diagnose, yep. uh, and that's always kind of a first step for change because you can't really do anything until you understand the problem or you realize the limitation. Uh, R.D. Lane said it, said it this way: he said the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice, and because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's nothing we can do to change until we notice how failing to notice constrains us to our old patterns or, or behavior. So the first one is being told what we're doing wrong. And one, I think you guys as chiropractic professionals uh, are in an educated position to discern and, and do that. But where you get stuck with it in your own lives, if you were to take you know your own hand right now, all you listeners out there, place it right in front of both of your eyes, what can you see? Well, absolutely nothing. And yet, if you hold your hand then at arm's length, it becomes just a hand. It's not overwhelming. So, so in our own lives, we often have difficulty with objectivity. And I think that's where sometimes we need an outside professional coach, for instance, or, or a colleague or a peer that can say, hey, this, this is what's going on. And you're really too close to the situation. You're too close to the problem to have any objective kind of vision about what's going on. You need to be able to separate yourself. And, and the other thing that you have as, as objective professionals is just that objectivity. So if you can get a good diagnostic assessment by somebody who's trained and somebody who's objective, 
that's a place to start. And then what do you do once you have the diagnosis? Well, you formulate a plan of action. And, and again, I think going to somebody who's knowledgeable and can, I think, stratify the incremental behaviors needed, or like you said initially, uh, Dr. Deed, you know, you've got to set reasonable, achievable, implementable, short-term goals that build sequentially toward a longer-term overarching purpose. We call that treatment planning. And then what do you do from there? Well, you do it. You do it day in and day out. And it's not catastrophic major change, and it doesn't come in a flash. It's built slowly and enduringly over time until you've built a monument, essentially. And then you're done. So, so what? You know, what, how do you prevent from going back to old behavior? How do, you, how do you maintain the positive gains you've had? Well, you probably don't need quite the intensive treatment that you've been receiving, but certainly a maintenance phase, which may or may not be indefinite even, is indicated to help maintain your alignment, to, keep, to retain your gains, and to keep moving in a positive direction. So in synopsis, I know I tend to be long-winded, I'm sorry, you know, assessment, formulation of care, uh, treatment, and then maintenance. You know, and that fits exactly in, it's not only for the chiropractors out there listening, but this is also the, the corrective care model that we recommend to, to patients. And it's a very nice, simplistic model because you can see those action steps and those steps that you brought forth applied to everybody across the board. It doesn't matter if you're a patient or a doctor trying to initiate change and, and try to get out of back pain or get out of debt or restructure your office, those same steps apply. Uh, Dr. Fred or Dr. Joe, do you have uh, some comments or questions on that particular topic? Uh, for, uh, I, well, I just, I just think that it's amazing that uh, the same exact strategies that we apply, like you were saying, Deed, is exactly what he does with his own practice as well. And, you know, it's that objectivity, I think, that sets even our structural-based methods um, different than some chiropractors um, that are in our profession. And, you know, if you can look back and look at things objectively, um, you know that the truth is there. And so I, I think this is, it's nice to hear it from a different professional that they look at, you know, their treatment goals the same way. Yeah. Dr. Fred, any comment, question? Um, yeah, believe it or not, I usually have all kinds of stuff to say. I'm just kind of following along right now, and uh, I'm actually impressed with uh, your thought process and how it's amazing that even though we're in different professions, how how thought processes really align and uh, how the consciousness really is moving and always continues to move towards truth. You know, you're talking about you know, fixing people like we are. We just deal with different things, you know, different aspects of, of people. And actually, you're dealing with people's emotional health, which is one of the causes of subluxations, you know, emotional, chemical, physical. And uh, really, one of the things that we promote in elite coaching, I think one of the major and best, most solid marketing tools is through relationships. I mean, we went through... All these tough, see, I told you I had nothing to say and you got me started. But we go through all these tough economic times. And if you read any, any magazine on success, the businesses that succeed through any economic downturn are ones that are built on relationships. Now, when you under, I don't know what you know about CBP, but 
you know, if I was a practicing CBP doc, I would definitely talk to you about structure and emotion. And, you know, you get people that are really sick. You know, we see people that have the worst degeneration, the worst spine, they have the worst health. And sometimes those are the people that won't commit because they're victims or they're hopeless or they're just flat out have a, have a numb state of awareness. You know, and until you can help those people emotionally, they already have one foot in the grave and it doesn't really matter what you can do with a technique because they walk out of your office after they look at their x-rays feeling sorry for themselves. Or, or the... This, the benefits that you are able to implement are, are entirely sabotaged, you know, within a week or two by the patient because they go back. Okay, so we had a, a little break in the action there due to uh, Dr. Deed's computer uh, taking a Microsoft update break, but we're back in action now. Uh, so, one, so, Ted? Yeah, one point I wanted to make is, uh, and I think where I was going is uh, Descartes back in, you know, during the Renaissance, it kind of... It, was at least as is, is culpable or, or primarily implicated for separating out the soma and the psyche. And for several hundred years in the, the corrective or helping industry, we've thought of the body and the mind and, and the emotion as separate entities entirely. And now we're starting to wise up a little bit. And I think chiropractors probably were at the, the forerunner or, or the cutting edge of, of this realization that they're really interconnected and you cannot treat one effectively without treating the other. You know, I'm not an arm and I'm not a wrist and I'm not a, you know, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor in my brain. I'm a complete person. Uh, and one of the things I love about the, the chiropractic model is that they look at somebody globally and, uh, you know, the, sure there's, there's the, the cerebral spinal kind of basis, that provides a, a foundation and a structure, but they're looking at, at the whole thing. They're looking at, you know, spirituality and, and emotionality and, and cognition or rationality and how all that relates to to care. And I think that's that's critical. And I think Descartes was wrong. You know, I I, I think you can't really separate out the soma and the psyche. Yep. That that's that's correct. So I have kind of a, a big one here that uh, at least it would be big for me. If, if somebody's a patient or a doctor out there, it doesn't really matter if it's the patient trying to initiate change and, and uh, take the steps or if it's a doctor trying to take the steps towards changing their practice direction. We, we know that family and friends can be an inhibitor to that when they see that this all of a sudden this person is starting to behave and act and do different things. So how does the person that's trying to go about the change how do they accommodate and bring in the family and friends into this equation so it doesn't separate? Right. Good point. Uh, and I think that can only be done effectively collaboratively. Uh, otherwise, eventually they're going to have to come to a decision about returning to stasis or, uh, or maybe severing the relationship. I work with couples all the time who have this dynamic. And the way you see it in, in marital couples that are out of balance is one might be controlling or critical and the other might be avoidant or struggle with self-worth or or depression and so as a person on the low end of that equation starts to assert themselves and feel more capable and competent you know on the surface the, their spouse is thrilled that that they're happier and that they're more assertive 
But at a subconscious level, they're not entirely comfortable giving up their power, which now they've got to do as things come come into alignment or balance. So they'll actually do things suddenly to undermine the their partner's positive change. And it, and I think whether it's you know chiropractic care or, or psychotherapy or or any type of care, you're going to see people be afraid of something different. Uh, and so if a person committed to the change process can understand and anticipate that resistance, you know, the best thing to do is, is to educate family and friends about it and to recruit their support up front. And then when it happens, just to name it, not necessarily attack them or even get defensive, but to call out the behavior and say, remember when I said you're going to be uncomfortable with the new me and you're going to try to do things to get me to go back to how I was, well, this is what you're doing. And they'll go, oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize. You know, and if you can invite them, again, to be aware, uh, then a lot of times that change becomes a, a possibility. Yep. Now, this is great. And Dr. Fred, I've got a pretty pointed one coming up for you, but there, there's a lot of chiropractors out there that have always been hesitant to, to really obligate a patient, a new patient, to bring their their spouse, their immediate family, and or their best friends to the spinal workshop and to the report of findings. And what Ted's bringing up here, he's basically saying if you don't bring those people in that are close to you to what you're going to be going through and maybe why, then it, it may be a detriment to the outcome. So what are your thoughts on that, Fred? Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. As he was talking, I'm going, oh, there's the spouse thing. So yeah. we're, we're thinking on the same wavelength, obviously. Well, you know, we're going over that in the boot camp in Atlanta this weekend on qualifying patients. You know, we have a whole patient application system. And before they're going to commit, um, well, first of all, the spouse has to be there. But one of the things that you're doing, the communication principles that we teach, is you're looking to create a support system for the patient or they're not going to make it. It's just, it's not going to happen. So obviously, Ted, you know, there's a bunch of communication dynamics of, uh, you know, we teach very specific communication dynamics, how the, the patient and the spouse need to be in close proximity, how they have to move at the same pace, bring them both into agreement. You The goals of the patient have to be the same goals of the spouse. It's never the patient's problem. One of the one of the challenges that doctors create in a report of findings is they show the patient their problem when in reality a health problem in a marriage is everybody's problem. If one person in the family is sick, it's everybody's problem. So when the spouse is at the workshop in the report of findings, it's the spouse's problem too. You, the spouse has to know it's their problem too, too. And if you don't know how to engage them and get them to realize that this is a system and a, and a challenge that the whole family's going to face and that, that the patient needs the support of the whole family, then the probability that patient's going to be able to follow through and actually attain those goals become... Uh, significantly decreased very rapidly, actually. So, and so, it, one of the ways that I deal with that, and and it sounds like you're going there as as well. So, I just want to, I think, draw that out and, and clarify it. Is it sounds like you give you know the the support system an opportunity, not so much to be part of of the blame in terms of you know 
this is your fault or, you know, this is your problem too, but to conscript them to be part of the solution, because that's where they can take ownership non-defensively, you know, regardless of how this happened, you know, they can be part of affecting a qualified permanent cure for, for this person. They can, they can be part of the solution. And pretty much anybody's going to be excited about, about that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised, and it, maybe I didn't clarify myself. I, yeah, it's not the it's not the spouse's fault, but they have to be part of the solution. Perfect. So, and that's the way we communicate that to them, as as well as finding the emotional hook of the spouse that relates to the patient's condition. You know, and uh, you know, just a, a quick example, real quick, is is that you know, hey, if you have a wife or whatever that's tired all the time, the husband works all day. He comes home, you know, they have an agreement that the wife takes care of the house and the kids, and he comes home from work, the house is a wreck, dinner's not made, you know, but that's their agreement. I'm not trying to judge a lifestyle, but that's their agreement. Then, you know, they get stressed or, you know, when it, you know, on the new patient workshop, regaining youth vitality, medical studies show uh, subluxated postures, head and neck posture, cause reduced metabolism, weakened immune system. So if you have a partner that with a lowered energy and a weakened immune system, then intimacy is going to be a problem. So, so these are things you, that you talk about with a, with a couple that have nothing to do with back pain, but those are more important. And the spouse becomes engaged because he wants a better marriage. He wants to come home and the house is taken care of or whatever their agreement is. Yep. So I'd like to include uh, Mr. Vince Cavino here, uh, gentlemen, and, you know, finances, which is something that Vince really deals with on a primary level, can, can trigger a lot of, number one, the need for change because you've got debt and debt creates all types of emotional issues and, and problems uh, on on all levels, and then then you've got business practices that need to change. When you're talking about restructuring your financial uh, plan and trying to get out of debt, or trying to you know gain some self wealth for your your, your uh, office and, and your family. So Vince, I'd like to get your thoughts on the particular conversation that we've had from a financial perspective. Well, you know, we talk about change, and and that's the reason I elicited T- Ted Burgess to help is because, you know, for all these years, it's like I've been banging my head against a wall trying to, to help all investors, not, not just chiropractors, but primarily as we moved to, to just working with chiropractors, form, uh, you know, prudent and wise business practices and investment habits and financial habits. Uh, I, I, I've struggled for a lot of years to do that. And so finally, you know, here I've got this, this great friend who's, who's uh, you know, uh, a national expert on addiction and on, on change and behavior and so forth. I, I know it because when we go hang out on double dates, he psychoanalyzes me and tells me what I'm saying wrong to my wife. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, that, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, I'm back on the way over here. I just got to, I just got to tell you because you, you, you may want to invite that, uh, Ted back for a, for a podcast. You know, I was asking him, I said, I have a hard time differentiating between white and blue personality types. I, mean, I think I get the red. I think I get the yellow. And, and so forth. And I said, give me an example of someone who's a white personality. And he thinks for about five seconds, he said, someone that we both know, uh, your wife. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. So uh, at some point, we, we, we need to have Ted back for that for that uh, personality color coat uh, discussion. It's, it's really, to me, quite... Uh, uh, quite amazing, but but you know the idea was to to uh, to bring about meaningful change 
And uh, so because I had read some of the things that uh, Ted had published and written, I asked him to uh, to put together, uh, you know, a, a series of of behavioral uh, practices that would reinforce changes that I wanted to see take place. So as, so as I looked at some of the root causes, not, not just the branches or the symptoms. And again, this, is, this truth is also universal. If you're a chiropractor and you're listening to this, th- this resonates because truth is universal. So, you know, it's how you know something is true. In fact, you, you, you taught me that, Ted, uh, a year ago while we were driving down the road. Uh, but, but the idea was, look, if, if, there were, if there were financial problems in a marriage or, or business practices that just, just kept recurring and causing pain, and grief and frustration and resentment in, in a business and, and between staff and doctor and between husband and wife and, and so forth, that, that it wasn't necessarily just the, the, the root or, or just the symptom that, okay, at the end of each month, we, we collected 50 grand and we spent 50 grand. Yeah, that, that's a problem, but that's a symptom. When we bring that symptom back, it has something to do with fear or doubt or blame versus responsibility. Uh, it may have to do with entitlement uh, versus gratitude. And so, so I believe that what Ted put together is just this absolutely brilliant um, textbook. It's a workbook uh, called Perfectly Aligned, and I've given it to a lot of folks. I think you know that, Dr. Date, at your events. Uh, I know Dr. Fellantelli, you're, you're, uh, I think your staff has a copy of it. But the idea is that teams can go through these exercises together and work on the root causes, so if, if control uh, of money, a lot of times in marriages you see that one spouse has a control issue, and that's usually what spending comes down to. Uh, if one of them has this habitual need to buy a new car to feel validated uh, or, or to buy it, you know, if I had a client <laughs> applying for a loan and he said, uh, look, I've got about 20 grand I can put down. I, I do have a $33,000 watch. Can I put that on the financial report? I'm saying, you know, it'd be nice if yeah, that money were in cash because we'd actually get a lower interest rate on this home you're buying. Uh, so, so he put together this amazing, uh, you know, workbook. And I, I just want Ted to talk about that for a minute. You know, why does that work? Why perfectly aligned? Um, why the subtitle, you know, chiropractic is a metaphor for life. Walk us through that process of, of perfectly aligned and, and, and maybe where that where that came from. Okay. Uh, so the, the practices themselves came out of a five-year uh, addiction research study I did using mindfulness meditation as an intervention with uh, chemical uh, dependency. So I was working with drug and, and alcohol addicts, and I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, traditional protocols. Research and, and treatment has been kind of static since the 20s, that there was a great thing called AA, and it was beautiful in that it conscripted kind of peer support and got people focused on, you know, different values and and a spiritual awakening. Um, But addiction treatment had plateaued. And since that time, the best thing that anybody has ever been able to come with has been kind of a static 55% recovery rate at, at 12 months. And that's from uh, the National uh, Database of, of Drug and Alcohol Treatment Outcome Study, DATOS is what it's called. Um, so at, at 12 months, no matter what you did, if you did cognitive behavioral therapy or, you know, spiritual transformation kind of church group involvement, you know, your outcomes were about 55%. Uh, and that, to me, was really dissatisfactory because it, you know, it, it's almost half or half. You know, it's, it's kind of like a crapshoot about whether this is going to work or not. So we utilized some research uh, 
conducted initially by John Kabat-Zinn out of the, the Center for Mindfulness out of Worcester, Massachusetts. And a colleague and I actually went back and met John and uh, his uh, colleague, Saki Santorelli, and we became semi-versed in their mindfulness treatment model, which was essentially this program that allowed people to become aware of automatic and, and instinctive routines. Uh, and that's really where my fascination with, with, with change research and, and change theory came from. Uh, but we were able to adapt the mindfulness treatment model to work with recovering addicts. And lo and behold, after 12 months, uh, 81% of them were clean and sober out of a study sample size of 106. And that's, that's a huge statistically significant difference over and above national norms. So we don't have our, our five-year treatment outcomes yet. But um, what that was is, is essentially Vince asked me to take some of those behavioral practices, which had been validated you know, in my clinical practice, and apply them in a way that, that would be chiropractor-friendly, so to speak. So we used uh, the spine metaphor and, and kind of the idea of a, of a treatment plan, diagnosis, formulation, you know, transformation, and maintenance. And uh, I took some of the favorite practices uh, of folks, and I, and I laid them out in a sequential manner. Fantastic. So i got to put Vince and Ted on the spot here. How do the listeners out there get a copy of Perfectly Aligned? Uh, email me, uh, and I can email a copy to you, and you can print off as many as you'd like for your staff, uh, or you know, we'll send out a hard copy. We, we once in a while we have somebody that'll say, "Look, we we don't have capability to do that." So I've, I've emailed several, or I've mailed several hard copies out. Uh, uh, we're you know commissioned Ted to do this, and we want it to be very widely uh, utilized because we think it's just absolutely the best in in, in change uh, facilitation for chiropractors out there. Uh, but, but if you'll email me at Vince at succeed with legacy.com, I'll send you a copy. That's fantastic. That way the doctors can see these, uh, points or they can find some of the limiters. They can find some of the things that they can do to number one, trigger and stimulate and follow through with change as a, the number two and number three. So, uh, Dr. Fred or Dr. Joe, your uh, comments on that? No, I just I, I'm sitting back, just loving listening to the podcast. Actually, yeah, I mean that's such a phenomenal change. Um, you know, I get AA is an old model, and I, well, I definitely have some opinions about that. But uh, what a remarkable change! I'm interested in what you're doing, so I'd, I'd like to get a copy of that book. Well, I'll tell you, the, the folks that have gone, you know, it's, about, it's 30 days, roughly. It's about a one-month process, and, and uh, not only is it great for team building, but spouses, uh, just the, the, the consistency uh, and, and the, the actually drawing a roadmap, like a GPS unit, if you will, that just keeps you on track. I mean, I, I, I know that when you're, when you're coaching, Dr. Fred, that's the idea, is that you want to see consistent uh, change that, that's going to be lasting. Uh, and this uh, this has the ability to just be a catalyst in the lives of the chiropractors to be able to do that. So we, and we've seen that the feedback we've gotten has, has really been has been spectacular. Just in not just the personal change, not not just the changes in the business, which is that was my purpose, frankly, was that if the business practices were better, uh, uh, you know, chiropractic offices would be more profitable, and they could therefore invest more money, and legacy wealth would would obviously uh, be be thrilled and be a win win. Uh, but but I think what I didn't anticipate to, to the scope that, that we saw was that um, people are talking about how 
relationally uh, and emotionally, it, uh, it it was it was a huge factor for them. So, in, in fact, Ted, maybe just talk about that. What I mean, what do you see? Is you see people go through reflection exercises and some of the other things that are in this book. What are you seeing? What are the positive changes that you're seeing in their life? Well, um, you know, people who who stick with it, and and I think 30 days is maybe a conservative estimate. You know, the holy grail of uh, scientific inquiry or, or discovery is perpetual motion. It's something that everybody's excited to to have happen. And I will tell you the secret right now to perpetual motion. It is perpetual effort. But but the idea that you can do something once and never have to work again, you know, have uh, an income stream after, you know, a month's worth of hard work, I mean, that's just goofy. Uh, you can have perpetual motion, but it requires perpetual effort. And so people who are willing to dedicate themselves to the daily processes, and, and they're easy. I mean, the 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 tasks themselves, each, each uh, component or segment of it takes maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes tops a day. So it's not a, a huge commitment of time, but what... What the difference is is if people do it every day, and then people who've who've done it for the the addiction program was actually sixty days, so we ran through it twice. Incidentally, uh, they were transformed. I mean, people who were uh, maybe lecherous or or calloused or non caring or came out of multiple failed relationships, and not just had difficulty controlling their addiction, but but difficulty with relationships, difficulty with finances, difficulty with maintaining gainful employment. They they literally transform. They become thoughtful, civil, uh, conscientious, dedicated, uh, endearing, wonderful, salt of the earth people. And it was, it, it, whenever you stand witness to to change like that, it it's always awe inspiring. It's it's heroic. You know, it's the stuff of legends, uh, anecdotally. Well, you know, it's remarkable to me. I think the doctors will appreciate this, but I've heard you say before that, that the brain actually, and what is it, is it, is it 50 or 60 days actually begins to, to take shape and change? So the the study is a study by Jeffrey Schwartz out of UCLA Med Center, uh, I think 2002. Uh, but the, the textbook reference is change in the brain. It's just a popular uh, kind of explanation. But he did pre- and post-functional magnetic resonance image studies with uh, the brains of, of people with OCD who had done mindfulness practices for 60 days. And he was able to, to quantify substantially different changes after 60 days. And the, the key buzzword in his text was activity-dependent cortical reorganization. But it just gets to that point that, it, you know, you act different until you are different or fake it till you make it, essentially. Yep. That, that's exactly it. That's great. Uh, the, the chiropractors, a lot of them uh, out there, Ted, expect the research, so it's awesome that you threw that in. And some of the doctors may have actually read that particular paper. In fact, I, I remember a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Dan Murphy, who loves neurology. That's his passion. I remember him at a conference a couple years ago going through that particular paper out of UCLA, so that's awesome. Uh, Dr. Fred, uh, Dr. Joe, any, any thoughts, comments? No, I'm just, I, I feel like uh, I've just learned more in this podcast and I haven't contributed much because I'm just learning. Yeah, well, that that's why we bring, you know, experts like Ted in here and, and this is what he does for a living and it's obvious that he knows, uh, he knows his field. So just a couple quick summary questions um, and that way we don't keep everybody too long, uh, but yeah, a couple things go on. I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble for this because I'm gonna bring my wife into this equation. <laughs> and 
Does she listen to the podcast? She doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> You'll be all right then. But Vince or somebody out there is going to tell her. So uh, my, my wife has, has struggled with her perception of her weight. It's not anybody else's. It's her perception. No, I think that's all women's perception, Deed. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, I think it's a genetic fault in our genome that all women, no matter what their shape is, think that I, it's the, their ability to look at things. Aha. Uh-huh. I got you. Is that Joe? No, not me at all. <laughs> it's probably Shirlene from the other room. It's probably <laughs> Shirlene's alarm going off. Um, somebody's smoke alarm. Yeah, yeah, it's not mine. I got to go. I'll, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and that's Jenny's cooking in the kitchen. I knew it. Yeah, don't let Jenny cook. Anybody out there that sees Jenny, just remind her of what you heard, the smoke alarm going off on the Chiropractic United podcast. Yeah. So, you know, Joe, you're probably right in the sense that many people have this, and it, it probably is not just women, but a lot of women do that. So my wife wanted to, you know, go through this this exercise program, so I hired a personal trainer, and she made it for a while, and then she stopped. And so then the, the questions are a couple. Um, number, number one is, what happens when somebody slips off the path? And then number two, how do you get them to understand for themselves, why they're going through this effort. I mean, what makes them follow through with this? Right. Well, if I could wax a, a little bit kind of existential, uh, I'll share a personal experience on the, the weight issue specifically, and then I'll, then I'll address the wider question. And the answers might seem, they might seem dissonant, but I, I think they'll tie back together, uh, if, if you just bear with me. So uh, I have a beautiful 17-year-old little girl who is is a little bit heavy. Um, and I'm a, you wouldn't tell it now cause I haven't raced for about two years, but I'm a category two USCF competitive road biker, which means that basically at my age, I had to ride my bike about 20, 20 hours a week, just, just to race with these young fast guys. Uh, and so fitness and exercise and physique was, was pretty important to me. It was pretty important to my wife and my, my little girl at about age 13 started to struggle with her weight. And, Thinking that I was being helpful, you know, I, I hired her a trainer as well. I would uh, diligently search her room and chastise her thoroughly when I found a Snickers wrapper or whatever. And, you know, I would encourage her and, and then ultimately forbid her from eating treats. Um, and far from actually helping the issue, it was it was making it worse, obviously. And it's one of those things where my hand was right in front of my face and I was way too close to the problem. And I, I was doing something that made it worse, but I was... I was reflecting on what I could do differently, and it's almost like I had an epiphany, almost a, a third-person voice in my head that said, Ted, you know, Chelsea may always be a little heavy. You, as her father, can influence whether she's a little heavy and dynamic and vibrant and loves herself, or whether she's a little heavy and she loathes herself. And uh, that realization actually brought me to, to physical tears and it's been five years since I've lectured my beautiful little girl about her weight. And uh, she's still, a, you know, a few sizes larger than her friends. But you know what? She is dynamic and gregarious and confident and, and vibrant. And everybody who meets her is is just delighted with her and loves to have her around. So so sometimes I think the solution isn't what we w- would, would perceive it to be. And, and sometimes we have to be willing to look at, potential solution is something outside the realm of 
our preconceived notion of, of what's right and wrong. Um, that being said, I think when you're able to identify and stick with appropriate healthy goals and you know you accept minor slips as invariant kind of necessary parts of the change process, that's okay. Um, and I, I will fall back on somebody much smarter and more eloquent than I, Ralph Emerson, who says it this way. He said, uh, live each day and be done with it. Be done with it. You've done the best you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Today is a new day. Begin it well and serenely with too high a spirit to be cumbered by your old nonsense. This day is all that is good and fair. It is far too dear with all its hopes and invitations to waste on the yesterdays. That's awesome. Right. That'd be, it'd be even more awesome if uh, you had said you, you quoted that, but just from memory, that's amazing too, Ted. Uh, but that, that's fabulous. Uh, Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, no, again, yeah. I mean, I just, I, yeah. I, I mean, my my point with this is is that I think that um, everything that a person wants to achieve, they have to be willing to change and look at their life objectively, and they need help a lot of times. Just like Dr. Fred looks at my practice objectively, where you know I might have an idea that I'm too emotionally attached to. And so I force it through when he may look at it and say, you know, Joe, that's a bad idea. I've seen 20 clinics do that recently and it failed. I can't, you know, I can't look at things objectively. So we always need a friend uh, or a colleague or, you know, a counselor, somebody that can look at things objectively. And I, I think this, this podcast about change really hits home that people that want to change their practice and jump over to a corrective care practice, they got to be willing to look themselves in the mirror and do whatever it takes to really change if they want that, that practice of their dreams. Well, one of the things that we teach too on, on that note is um, you guys know what it really takes to go through for a patient to go through spinal correction. It's hard work. And, you know, like you with your daughter, Ted, it's seeing her as a spirit rather than what her physical appearance is. You know, I mean, and obviously she's a beautiful girl like we all are. And, uh, you know, I think that's one thing that I teach doctors is to see the greatness in everybody. But it doesn't really matter until they see the greatness in themselves. So you saw the greatness in your daughter before she did. And once you helped her see it within herself, now she becomes a more true person of who she is. And the same thing with spinal correction. You know, we put life coaching principles into day one, into day two, to help people realize that they're better than they think they are. And until they think they deserve to be healthy, they're not going to do what it takes to get better. So that's really even a higher calling than putting a curve in their neck. You know, if they believe, if we help them believe in themselves, then we have the opportunity to fix their spine. Well said. Yep. You know, and Dr. Fred, I'll tell you, I've, I've known you for a lot of years, and I think that, um, you know, you, you, you were a great guy years ago, but, but you've, you've had a transformation in your life. And, and you may not have noticed it because you've been, you know, you're with yourself every minute of every day. But, you know, I talk to you, and then several years go by, and we talk again, you know, and then several more years go by, and now we're, we're, we're talking quite a bit more. But I think that when, you have, when you've made changes and transformations yourself, 
you then take on the ability to empathize and you have then this uh, this moral authority and, and, and a power to be able to help others to transform, to help others to make change. And I think the same is true for a doctor. You know, this doctor who wants to take his patient from, from illness to wellness has the same, uh, you know, if, if he's gone through a personal transformation himself, if, he, if he's gone from good to great, if he's gone from fearful to confident, uh, you know, if he's if he's gone from from one limiting place to one liberate, liberating place in his life, he's going to be able to empathize with with these people on day one and day two. He's going to be able to help them to be a catalyst for them and to be you know almost like an accountability coach to help these these patients uh, to create wellness in their lives. Well, first of all, it's been a massive transformation. <laughs> Let me just comment that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't always well-liked through my life, so, you know, but I uh, want to thank you on that. And, yeah, I think, you know, hey, man, you have to believe in yourself so other people can believe in you. And that's one thing that CBP does for chiropractors is it gives you at least confidence clinically. Then the next thing is get confidence in your communication. You know, when you talk, Ted, you know that you know, and it comes out in your tone. And there's not a question. You're an authority, and you know you're an authority with humility. I mean, you speak with humility, but you know that you know. Same thing with Deed and Joe and you, Vince. I mean, we all have different aspects, but we all know that we know. And we can come across with humility and a great deal of authority and the ability to lead a lot of other people. Yep. You know, guys, we're— Getting close to the time limit that we usually set for this, I'd like to uh, do a couple things uh, before I close with the Chiropractic United research uh, article for the week. And a, a summary, I'd just like to, uh, number one, ask Fred, is, is, or not Fred, I'm sorry, ask Ted, are there any final thoughts that you would like to convey to the listeners out there or any final messages on this particular uh, podcast topic? I. No, thanks for having me on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I believe in what you're doing. Fantastic. And to everybody out there, Ted uh, came up to my house uh, after work and after a church event with his wife and uh, gave up his uh, late evening here for us. And uh, we just all like to really let uh, Ted know how much we appreciate that. So thank you from Chiropractic United. And I know all the listeners out there. Uh, so Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, a final summary comment. Uh, no, I just wanted to, uh, before you go into the research, um, I just wanted to uh, say that uh, we're going to be, as far as I know, we're digressing a little bit. I wanted to get into where we're going to be coming up with uh, pediatrics. Okay, you, uh, feel feel free to bring up a couple quick announcements before I wrap it up. Yeah, I just wanted to say that we're going to be in San Francisco uh, next week with CBP for pediatrics. Now, is Dr. Fred, are you going to be there as well? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Okay. And, 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 you know, and then after that, uh, Dr. D, we're going to be in, in Chicago. Isn't that correct? Yeah, Chicago will be the 23rd and 24th for the lumbar rehab. But the pediatrics conference in San Francisco, uh, Saturday, July 16th. Are you going to have this podcast up in time, Dr. Joe? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, do right. it be, I'll do it before I take that long flight across the country. And... Dr. Fred, uh, you're going to be at that particular conference. You're going to be uh, speaking over lunch, and we're going to have a, an evening presentation. Uh, yeah. What are you going to be speaking on this particular lunch? 
Uh, really how to build your practice right from how to turn one into three, how to take a mom and or a dad as a patient and have how to just, as you run them through the program, how to teach them about kids and, and uh, build your pediatric practice. That's a great fit since it's a pediatric conference. I love that. Okay, uh, Dr. Joe, uh, I know I got you again this week. This is going to be like four in a row. Yeah, I know. I know. I, know. I, I, I knew it, too. I know you haven't read this paper. It's a 2010 article out of uh, a Belgian journal, Acta Orthopedica, Belgium. And it's a study that uh, was published by Erkan et al., E-R-K-A-N, initial S. It was 2010, the October Volume 76, number 5, pages 675 through 680. Uh, it's a great study on uh, 228 subjects. And what they're doing is they're looking at the relationship between the thoracic kyphosis and the cervical curve. Now, this is something that we've been teaching in CBP for about the last six to seven years. And you're just now starting to see research on this topic. We did some early investigations on this. Some were published, some were self-published uh, papers in, in the textbooks we wrote, but I think we were some of the first authors to write about this topic. They, they broke down the subject into two groups. Group one had uh, verified on x-ray loss of the cervical curve. Group two had a normal cervical lordosis. And then they also had x-rays of the thoracic curve. Now, these were pseudo-healthy subjects. And I say pseudo-healthy is because these people had lower extremity complaints, not really spine complaints. And it's really, it's kind of hard to say what kind of uh, lower extremity complaints they had because they didn't go into the details of it. But the findings were statistically significant for an effect where loss of the cervical curve was associated with loss of the overall thoracic curve, but primarily in the upper six vertebra. So T1 through T6 had a decreased kyphosis when there was a, a decrease in the cervical curve. Whereas in the normal cervical lordotic group, these people had normal thoracic curvatures and normal upper thoracic contours. Why is this important for corrective care chiropractors? Well, we found out that while many of our treatment approaches are effective, oftentimes they're not effective when we're just intervening with the cervical spine. We missed the fact that the upper thoracic spine may be a contributor to a loss of the cervical curve. And if you do not x-ray the thoracic curve at the same time that you x-ray the neck, you don't understand the relationship between a, a reduced thoracic kyphosis and a reduced cervical curve. And if you'll take into consideration both of these, when you go about restoring the cervical curve, your corrections will be much more effective. But that's a topic that we touch on in the actual seminars. It's a topic that we'll touch on at the pediatric seminar in San Francisco. It's also a topic we touch on on our Chiropractic United uh, high-definition video streaming that we do at www.chiropracticunited.com. So that's the research article for this week. And again, Dr. Joe? Yeah, I know I you're, you're upping me. I'm going to have to uh, get going a little bit more in uh, reading. Yeah, it's okay. You know what, Joe? You got me on the tech stuff with Google and Skype and Microsoft. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Well, I got to stay on, on top of something for you. Yeah. And so, Dr. Fred, 
Thank you for participating tonight, Dr. Joe. Thank you for participating. And if you'll uh, tell Ted and Vince the same. Thank you, guys. Thank Wonderful you guys. podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was fantastic. All right, gentlemen, that's it for tonight. Thanks for the hour. All, All right. right. Take care, guys. Good night. Bye.